Welcome to this next episode of our Rugby Bits and Pieces. And we've decided to take a little run into the Rugby Europe Championship, um, a competition that's not spoken about enough in South Africa and, and the rest of Europe. Obviously, most of, uh, of the South Africans are focused on the URC, the Six Nations and all that sort of jazz. But today I'm joined by Francisco Isaac. Um, Francisco is a freelance writer, does a lot of great rugby. You must follow him on Twitter. Um, he writes for Fair Play, Rugby Europe, Planet Rugby, Talking in Rugby, and Rugby Pass. Francisco, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's good to be uh, with you guys. Uh, I've been following Rugby Bits for quite a while, and Tata's, uh, Tata's uh, hot takes are some <laughs> of the are good to spice up the mornings or to soothe in when I'm going to bed at night. No, absolutely. There's uh, there's good banter. I'll t- tell you one thing, having four of us on, especially Jared. Jared hasn't been on for a while now, so he's getting a little bit of uh, a bit of heat from the guys. Um, <laughs> but but you know you know what it's like. It's it's good fun. But there's so much happening and so much rugby, and I want to jump straight in. So the Rugby Europe Championship, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but essentially it is what we'd probably consider one tier down from the Six Nations um, with European teams involved. And there are eight teams playing, Poland, Romania, Germany, Georgia, Belgium, Portugal, Netherlands, and Spain. And it's a pathway to where? Sorry? It's a pathway to where is it? Um, do, do uh, well, it's World a Cup? pathway to, <laughs> yeah, it can be a pathway to the World Cup. Uh, normally, well, we don't know how it's going to go for 2027. Uh, but for example, for Rugby World Cup 2023, the qualification was done between the um, the qualif- uh, how many points did the teams finish up in 21 and 22. So the aggregate scores sum up and then you have the final uh, rankings or final standings and that gets you to the world cup okay and what and just tell us a little bit more about the competition i mean i've i've watched it for a few years not religiously but watched it and i've seen like 80,000 100,000 fans at stadiums at some at some stages so it's pretty well followed yeah, it's, uh, this season has been incredible because at uh, mons in the belgium portugal game there were like 5 to 6,000. It was completely full. They completely packed the stadium. Uh, six uh, 6,000 fans. If you went to the south, which is like two hours from Berlin to the south, uh, was also five to almost 6,000 fa- fans. Um, in West Amsterdam, a little bit less, but still good. And in Poland, well, it was 3,000 fans, but it was, com- it was ice cold. Uh, if you can go watch the replay on Ring Europe on YouTube, and you could see that the the the, the pitch looked like frozen. So uh, it's it's growing, and it, it, the good thing it's growing in these countries. We don't I like, don't like to cut minnows, but not so not not rugby countries by nature or yeah. that for a long time have been. Uh, so away from the big, big stadiums and the big games, but it's growing and it's a good sign because, for example, I was commenting on the Germany Georgia game, and no one is, was expecting that Germany will end up losing by a, mar- a margin of eleven points, mm. and, sco- and they scored even two tries against uh, Georgia, which is something 
rather uh, special. And for the fans at home, that might be the boost that f new kids come come in. I give there's there was interesting vibe in the stadium. You could you could see that the fans were not expecting it, and that made every everything more special. Another example is it it it's growing. For example, in Germany also, it was broadcast on public te television. So it's not only a private thing now. It's going to the bigger and wider channels. And that might be the cornerstone for these countries to start growing or Francisco, you're on mute, sorry. Ah. Okay, so we're saying uh for the Ravy Root Championship, it's growing and it's when you have more on public television and more fans. These teams might, most of them won't go to the World Cup or the next World Cup, but it's a sign that something promising is coming. Of course, the next World Cup is going to be in Australia, so the the tension span or it won't be as much because it, on, in France, it's just it's close to the border from, um, uh, from Netherlands and Germany and Switzerland and, and, and so on. But there's a common vibe that as Portugal did so well and Georgia have done also so well for the past uh, five World Cups, it's possible for other ones to follow the same path. Yeah. And you're chatting about uh, Germany, Georgia. So the final result there was Germany 17, Georgia 28. And I had a look at that and I thought that was obviously quite a quite an interesting result. Um, but big one, and for us South Africans, there have been a couple of South Africans that have played for Georgia in the past. I know Michael Popmeyer, Pops has played. Um, I think he's involved in the coaching a little bit. I'm not sure. But another South African who played his last game is Raynor Parkinson. Um, how much do you know about him and a little bit more about the Germany result? Because that's obviously, as you have mentioned, is quite a good one. But I mean, there must have been a little bit more to the game. Well, there's a couple of South Africans not only playing for Germany. Uh, Rainer is one of them one of the most legendaries. Uh, there's also other two, for example, in Portugal, José Rodrigues, or Louis José Rodrigues is his name. He came from the the Sharks or the Bulls Academy uh, when he was 18 years old, 19, and came to, to Portugal to play. And also Cody Thomas, who's playing in Juan Normanin, probably the... So uh, don't forget, the Portuguese South African community is big. Yeah. And we haven't been able to tap in as much as we like because it's so far away. It's not easy to bring three or four players to a camp uh, before the, the Rugby Europe Championship or the Men's Rugby Europe Championship. But uh, as it was working for, for Portugal, Germany also tapped in and it's like Rainer Parkinson, Sebastian Freire, who's playing in Nottingham. Yeah. Uh, I, I think he's he was called for the last game against Georgia, but he couldn't come. And I think for the next two games, Spain and Netherlands, he will come and and will add. I think he is one of the best players in Germany and one of the best South South African German players they have in the setup. Rainer Parkinson is a legend because he well he's thirty five. He retired against Georgia, played twenty minutes, and look, he had a massive career for Germany. He, I think his first game was in two thousand eleven, and when Germany was in the the second division in Europe, so the trophy division. Yeah, and he helped them go back, go to the to the top division, the championship. Uh, played in a qualifier for the World Cup in 2018, 
So he has a lot, long history in Germany, and I think his contribution to the game and for how the Schwarze Adler have grown in rugby was a big part on him. Nice, thank you. Tyler, welcome. I apologize for starting ahead of you. No worries. Um, I'm just glad that you have um, been a good host to Francisco so far. Hopefully, Francisco Sean has been taking care of you. Um, <laughs> I wanted to ask Francisco before we get into some of the nitty gritty. So, obviously, in a country like South Africa, you can't really run away from rugby. Like it's most popular sport. It's pretty much everywhere. So, I want to hear your story of how you got into rugby. I mean, obviously, coming from Portugal and you know, is it maybe, is it, is rugby a, a game that is um, concentrated in certain areas? Is it, did you just watch a random game? Was it the 2007 World Cup? What is your story if I got into the sport? Well, my story is, I start, uh, my first tryout in rugby was when I, when I was 11 and I hated it, like every <laughs> single minute of it. I uh, remember going to practice because my father always loved rugby. He played for two seasons long, long time ago. Uh, but then he brought me to Group 58, who are the champions at the moment. And I just hated it. It was night, cold, rain, mud. And I said to my father, no, no, this is not uh, the sport for me. And then when I was 16, I had a very good friend uh, who played in one another club, was a Grunemia. And he said, why, why don't you come try out? You're a big boy. Uh, you could do well. I said, okay, let's try it. And it clicked. And it was uh, amazing because uh, after three weeks, I did well. I was very fit at the time. So I, I landed a spot. And from then, it was a journey of falling in love with it. I think this, this, the last click before the, the, World, the 2007 World Cup was the Six Nations 2006. Uh, I remember watching uh, with some friends, drinking beer and eating sh shellfish in Lisbon and said, okay, this is amazing because it's it works so well and the vibe is imme immense. The stadiums are, are just awesome. So it went from there. And it's in Portugal, it's difficult to, to explain to you because people are going to laugh. You have, it's not a big country, but if you look to, 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 to it geographically, it should have more teams inside or to the north, but it isn't. It's mainly in Lisbon. So in the capital, you, for example, in the, champ in the premiership division, seven out of the 10 teams are from Lisbon or from around Lisbon. And then you have one team to the north, uh, one team to the center, which is Porto, Club, uh, which is in Porto, in Academica, which is in Coimbra. And another one next to Coimbra, it's Lausanne. So it's very few teams outside of Lisbon. And so it's a very... Uh, I'm going to say very concentrated sport and very elitist. Now it's transitioned to becoming more middle class, lower class, whatever you want to call sport. But for a long, long, long time, it was like high class sport and only the, those the, the good boys could play. And now it's becoming a sport for everyone, for any type of, it doesn't matter where you came. It doesn't matter if you start playing with 17, 12, 8, 7, 21, 22. It's a sport for all, and uh, and the World Cup, uh, World Cup helped it because, well, not this is not the take against the guys from two thousand seven, which some of our very good friends of mine, but mm -hmm. you could see that most of the players were from elite class, you know, uh, and now you have players from all around Portugal uh, playing also in France. It's different, so. 
people watch television doesn't get the feeling of oh this is hoity toity uh, uh, sport now they say okay this sport for everyone like handball or basketball um and well let's see what happens uh, in the next four years because it's going to be vital to see if it capitalizes on the new public and the new possible new players and it all depends on how well portugal does uh, in the men's and the women's team yeah no it's absolutely exciting and obviously we have that platform from 2023 we saw just how much the, the country got behind it they were apparently like record uh, viewership numbers in, in that last game against Fiji. So that's really exciting. Unfortunately, the start of the new cycle started with the loss to Belgium. Um, sorry to bring the mood down for you, Francisco. But yeah, I think just maybe talk us through it because, of course, I, I'll put myself in the in the in these shoes. You know, I would have expected Portugal to win. They've usually they've been traditionally one of the top three or four teams in the last like years or so Belgium haven't really heard too much about them so was this something that was expected is it as big of a surprise to you as it is to the rest of us well no it, it for me it was a shock I, I would half of my heart was expecting it because of how badly the union is handling the post-world cup uh, hmm. stuff because for the past four months we didn't have a head coach well we had a head coach for two weeks and right after the World Cup, he was then resigned. And since then, we had no head coach. And you could see that mostly the team, um, the mood came down. Because if you don't have a staff that is all working at least two or three days a week with players or with the staff, whatever, like Lajski did, um, it's normal when they come in to camp on January that there's nothing palpable to start working on and I felt I, I didn't want to believe it because Portugal has a lot of players in the Podedo or some in the top 14 then Nacional so when you think about those individualities coming in you say okay at least if the game doesn't go well collectively these guys are going to push it and drive forward but of course you could see that most of these players were waiting for a game plan because it worked with Larsky. You can be you can be Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo if you go to a pitch and there's no game plan and you face a team that's highly motivated to you now take you down for 80 or 100 or 200 minutes. You won't you won't surpass them. And if if you if people have the time, go watch the second half. If you don't want to watch the first half, go just watch the the second 40 minutes. You can see that Portugal with Marta, Storti, uh, Simon Bento, Appleton, they tried to run uh, running lines alone to see if they could sc score a try, but it's impossible. At this level, teams like Belgium, Netherlands, uh, Germany or Poland have studied so hard this, uh, the, the top teams and they want to take them down because it's how if you get one scalp from these teams, everyone is going to watch you for at least one or two weeks. And that boost of not notability is it, it's incredible, and I've seen that for Belgium this uh, since Saturday, and for the for Portugal was like uh, might be the turning stone for uh, to, to turning around and wake up from well what was a World Cup dream now is a nightmare because no one can, wants to come out from winning against Fiji, and then losing against Belgium. I like Belgium. I'm not saying that, but if you compare the two realities. It's you go from eighty to eight, like we say in Portugal. So it's yeah, it's strange. 
Okay, so maybe first you can also just help in just explaining how the Rugby Europe Championship works. So there's eight countries, it's Spain, Portugal, Georgia, Romania, Netherlands, Belgium, Germany, and Poland. And as I understand it, they're separated into two groups. You play the other teams in your group, and then there's semifinals and finals, right? Exactly. So the two top teams uh, from each group pass to the, to the, I call it the golden semifinals because you have a chance to go for, for the crown. Mm. The bottom two teams from each pool go to the ranking finals. Ooh. So, yeah. So, for example, Belgium, if Belgium gets the golden sem semifinals, they're, they're safe. So they won't get rele relegated. As in, in 2023, they they finish in seventh. So if they went to the ranking semifinals and lost and went to, to play for the A7 place, it could, could be dangerous. But for the moment, this win against Portugal might be enough for them to stay on the top division. So it's mm -hmm. bad news for Poland because now, now they have to forcefully win against... Well, they have to win against Belgium and wait for Portugal to win against Romania. So Portugal goes through to the Golden semifinals and, mm. well, leaves Belgium again. So it's interesting because uh, even if you finish in, in the bottom two places in, your, in the pool, you still have a lot to play in. And we don't mm. know how the qualification for the next World Cup is going to be. There's rumors it's going to only be during 2025, so which is even more cutting edge. Uh, That's late. So, so, it's it's not late. Normally it's two seasons, so it should be 2025 and 2026. But now if it's to go only 2025, ah oh, yes, you sorry, have I five, misunderstood. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. That's you crazy. Have, you have five less games to get to the World Cup. So it's if you lose one match in next season, and we don't know how it's going to work because and we everyone is waiting for World Rugby to decide how it's going to be. Um, uh, it's dire for any team. So, Portugal, if we were playing for qualification this year, Portugal would be in a very, very bad spot at the moment. Mm. So, it's for now. It is this Portugal. If Portugal finished, for example, last year they uh, were defeated by Georgia in the finals, so second. If they finish in fifth, they still are in fourth in the standings. So, it will be positive because then. The, the worst thing that could, would, could happen to them is to fall in the same pool as Georgia. But if they get the two the two top spots, they go to the World Cup. doesn't matter. Mm. And then, yeah, so just talking about the the, the nature of the, the, the eight teams there. So is it as easy to go that the ones that went to the World Cup you know, Romania, Georgia, Portugal, and I mean, Spain, bar obviously their eligibility issues have been consistent near the top. Is there a clear top four and a bottom four? Or, I mean, we saw this weekend's games, all of them were within about, I think, 10 to 15 points. If not, obviously the surprise victory of Belgium, Netherlands almost beat Spain as well. Or are the teams coming closer together more than ever? I, It's hard to say for because of one season. For Portugal, Spain, and Romania, um, it's a rebuild, a rebuilding and a restructuring stage. Uh, also for Georgia, but not that much. And the problem here is to see if Richard Cockrell can adapt to the way that Georgia plays and thinks rugby because it's it's very different. Uh, but going back to those three teams, it's a rebuild stage, and it's going to take time. Uh, Portugal needs to 
get the new Ta Mike Tadger, if it's possible, the new Samuel Marks to replace the guys who retired. Spain is fine trying to find the new guys that push them over, over the edge. And Romain, is, it, it's the same. I think it's getting closer. This season will, will always be close. I had a bet before the, the Rex started. It will go very close because the other the other four teams would want to, to gather some scalps from these ones. And sometimes arrogance, they think you are just because you finish in third or second or, or first next year, the last season, you're going to win again this one. And this last weekend, you you seen that Germany didn't play around and try to, to win the, the match. Netherlands was close. Uh, Portugal lost to Belgium. Even Poland in the last 10 minutes showed some promise against Romania. So it's closer, but I wouldn't take like a guarantee that it's going to be always competitive like this because I don't know what happens next season. Let me just go to Portugal again. If Portugal gathers a staff that is closer to what Lajeski had and go back to that stage of working with with peace and with a steady mind and, and so on, they can go back to almost the same spot they were until 2023. So they will be back on their on the on the right trail. If there's no stuff or bad stuff, it can get, get ugly. How how like how mm -hmm. bad Jim showed today? Yeah. So that's Portugal with a new coach. That's Georgia with a new coach as well. Is Ro you said Spain and Romania as well? Yeah. New coaches. Yeah. Jeez. It okay. Even Belgium has a new coach. Wow. Um, yeah. It's, it, Belgium had Mike Ford and uh, uh, Maurit Botha as the head as uh, head coach and assistant uh, coach, but they resigned in August, and uh, and then uh, they hired some uh, Laurent Dossa in September. Portugal has no head coach at the moment. It's just mm. caretaker by Daniel Orcad with the Seven Menezes yeah. and so on. Spain has Paulo Balza. Who work in the Super Rugby Americas, a high performance director, a position like that. And as you know, Georgia, same. Romania, David Gerard, who worked with Portugal. So mm -hmm. it's normal that these teams need time to adapt to the new reality, new way yeah. to work, etc. Et and that's <laughs> that's the, the biggest uh, the biggest thing. I think if Georgia had Levin Massashvili with them this season, mm -hmm. they would have won by a bit more against. Germany, because Massage really knows the players, knows how they work, the game plan, and so on. And I could see that Richard Cochrane is trying to change things a bit, but it will take time for players to adapt to it, yeah. to, the, to the new reality. Francisco, Sean, um, yeah, sorry, Sala. So we all know that um, Georgia are the front runners to, to take up one of those roles in every World Cup. That's just been like that. How are they looking moving forward? And not just specifically Georgia, but for the rest of, of the teams. Do any uh, Have you got any insights into like Georgia, um, Portugal, Spain, about how they're looking in two years' time? Like, do they have some youngsters coming through? Have they got the quality to, to make a drive once they set in with their new coaching staffs? If we talk only about players, so it is a hypothetical uh case yeah um georgia has like 20 to 30 players uncapped playing in the national national de and the president top 14 in the spot in espoir and carro so in two years time they'll be mildly ready or completely ready to yeah. take the reins 
if you could, the team against Germany, you had a lot of newcomers coming in. So they're preparing those guys for in four years' time or three years' time to be ready for the World Cup. The same thing with Portugal, same thing with Spain, the same thing with um, Romania, not that much. Romania will basically have almost the same team from the 2022-2023 because they weren't that old, but they weren't just quite there yet. They weren't yeah. mature enough to, 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 not mature, but rip, uh, rip to take the, the job. So for Portugal, for example, they have like 13 or 14 players that still can be capped for Portugal and will get a level higher. The main thing here is the coaching stuff because, uh, and sorry for going back to it again, because it's fun, it's fundamental or key for the new head coach to understand the reality of these countries. It's not easy to have all the time the best players because for example Portugal won't play with a single player from the top uh, no we'll have just Pedro Bittencourt but Storti, Bento um, Mart Nicolas Martins Francisco uh, Fernandes Antonio Alves can't play this weekend against uh, this weekend against Poland because of their agreements with the clubs so this is the main problem with teams of the emerging nations like in Europe you have seen this with Fiji when it comes October or November to play in the internationals they want to, to call their players the best but as the top 14 is going on in Prodeda, it's not easy to, to take them from the teams that can play because most of them have one-year contract or two-year contract. And, and French clubs, well, and while I understand them, they say, okay, it's us or them. You can't beat mm. them. Mm. And, and We all know the French clubs do that a lot, eh? It's, well, it, the French clubs do it, but sometimes they help. The problem with for me, it's better the French and the English because every time a, a, a player from, a, uh, let's call it T2 country, try to play for Spain or for Fiji or so on or Kenya, they just rip the party contract and said, okay, you next season you are not here. Oof. It happened with Joshua. It happened with that um, when there was a qualifier for the World Cup in Dubai, uh, Kenya had one of their, uh, not Ojo, I'll remember the name, that he was a very good player, very young player with 19 years old, but because he chose to play for his country of birth, uh, at the end of the season, contract was ripped off. Sure. It's it's a harsh reality, and that's why Patrice Lajewski uh, not staying with Portugal is massive, because Lajewski would pick up the phone and talk with the French guys, mm. and they would do agreement. The same thing could have happened with Spain, but they chose to go with Pablo Bauza, who's a very good coach in, in the training skills and, and the stuff. But for these countries, it's better to have someone from France or very well known in France so they can talk directly eyes to eyes. Say, okay, this weekend we can have the player, but the next few weekends they are ours. And we'll arrange if he has a, an injury, you, you, you'll, you'll be contacted and so on. That's the main, the, the main thing. The same thing will happen with with, with Georgia now. You could see that uh, Gela Pratice and Vasil Obsharnicek couldn't come play against Germany because they opted to stay in their teams, as their clubs asked them to stay. Vasil wants to get a, a full-time contract with Toulon, as he is there just as a, a joker, how you call joker. it? Medical, yeah. medical joker. Me medical joker for, for, until the end of the season. And he wants a contract to stay in Toulon. Of course, any one of us would, would like that. And mm. Jordan said, okay, fine, you can go. There's no problem. But Jordan has enough players to do it. 
but in the loose forwards uh, chapter, there's not that much of space because Beka Gorgadze is massive for Georgia and it's not playing for them because he's he has to stay with Section Palawas. And you could see that this can bring some <laughs> misfortune for some clubs when they or some teams when they don't do uh, the right arrangements or balance the teams well enough. But it's sometimes, but most times, uh, not most times, sometimes it can happen like it happened with Portugal. They had Storti, Bento, uh, Marta, everyone from the Prodeda, aside from Francisco Fernandes and Antonio Alves, and still lost. Mm. So <laughs> it's you need a balance of two. You need a very good coaching staff like Portugal had with Lajski or Romania had with Andy Robson, who, who is for me one of the stories that we will never know what happened and why Andy Robson was forced to leave Romania or yeah. why he chose to, to leave. And it sometimes doesn't work. Uh, and that is uh, the main problem. Yeah. It's so interesting just thinking about these push and pull factors. I mean, I'm sure as, I mean, obviously you as a supporter um, of Portugal, you want, you know, your the likes of Storti and Martins to play in, you know, the top top leagues and to have that exposure. But the pretty much the main competition and the competition used for qualification, if they're not available for most of those weeks, that's also counterproductive as well. So it's such a balance, I think, for maybe even for fans to be like, well, I want the best for this player, but, you know... Uh, they they it, it it can also disadvantage my club i mean i think you see it with football as well like a lot of like the the, the non-european countries if you know your best players are signed by you know the big european clubs you know you can't really get them for like for example the african cup of nations or the asian championship whatever the case is and it's such a it's it's such a complex thing i think for for fans to get their heads around too yeah it is uh, that's why when Portugal loses. I'm going to give you an example. Uh, well, today is Tuesday, and two hours before Spain uh, published the, the the team that's going to play for against Germany this weekend, and from the 32 player list, none is from none is playing as a senior in the Pro Deo top 14. There's three or four guys from those clubs, but play at the sport level and one or two from Nacional. You could see that how Spanish fans lost their minds over the last two hours. You can say, oh no, we're going to play with with a very uh, depleted team because we need the professionals and so on. And it drives yeah. mad people because of course, when you have uh, great players like Joel Merkel who plays for Toulouse and doesn't come for play for Spain, people get anxious, you know, because you have such, so so many good players rocking at at the club level but then you can't pick them when or in these three to five week weekends and when you try to explain this to casual fans from these countries they start looking to you and uh don't get it why in football when they call or in handball when they call a player he has to go there's no there's no here he has to stay for the club and so on and that's that's one of the main issues with rugby for me because mm-hmm. um, I understand the clubs, but at the same time, these nations need those players not only to win games, but to sell crowds. Yes. Know. I have friends now, mine, who are not, they are non-rugby fans. So they have never played, they have 
in the last 10, 12 years, they watched like three matches and they all were from Portugal in the 2023 World Cup. And they asked me, um, is Storty playing? So at the moment, Storty sells because he's a face. He's Tickets, yeah. And he said the same. He said to me, and Appleton, Appleton is playing. I said, yeah, Appleton will always play because he plays in Portugal. So he'll always be available for Portugal. But Storty, because he's becoming a, such well known player, they all ask it every time. Is he coming to play? Is he coming to play? Mm -hmm. And this is the main, main problem. When you try to explain this to all Ravi fans, they don't understand because they only see the Ravi as a collective sport and it isn't. You need the individualities, you need the faces. And mm. that's the gist of it. And for and when you have this and you can't win games or barely for Spain won against Netherlands, who is not a bad team nowadays, frankly. Yeah. It's a team that's uh, yeah, on the working. Yeah, he's on the rise. Lynn Jones is a very good coach. Knows what he knows what he's doing with them, and Spain won and could have won for more than more than two points. And even then, they are not happy with it. So you can see that there's a lot of frustration in these countries uh, with their future and present. Okay, Francisco, I think we should try to make this a regular um, feature. You can just talk to us about you know the REC and, and what's going on there. And there's a lot of questions that I think we all want to ask you about just the structures of world rugby, how to fix this, how to make better. I I, I know you're not shy with your views on <laughs> what world rugby is doing or not doing for, for the tier two nations. So I'm very keen to have that conversation. I think we'll have to wrap it up there. Um, maybe very quickly, a play that stood out for you this weekend? Sorry? A player? What, yeah, what the play, like maybe your player of the week or the best oh, player that you saw this week. Yeah. It, it's difficult for you to ask me this because after the games, <laughs> it's one thing. And when I was doing my work for Rebe Europe and for and for other websites and doing with the stats, it changes because you start seeing the stats and say, <laughs> okay, my, this player that I thought played well with the stats, he didn't rock that much. Mm. But it's let let me give a moment because I, <laughs> from Belgium Portugal is impossible to pick pick one. It was a, mm. it was a great game in terms of environment and uh, emotion, but it wasn't a great game uh, as player wise. Uh, Romania Poland also wasn't that much. Okay, I, I I have one from Spain Netherlands. One of the guys from the outside back, Martiano Sian, twenty years old. He's He's incredible. If people loved mm. Nuno Sosaguete stepping, you should focus on this guy. His <laughs> last name, his last name is Cian, so C I A N. He's incredible. His footwork is just special, and he can be one of those players that's at some point someone is going to put the clip on Twitter or yeah, another session and say, "Oh, look to this magician!" But he's <laughs> he will be my player of the weekend. Yeah, well, guess what I'm going to be doing tonight is trying to look <laughs> for see. YouTube videos of them. <laughs> no, thank you so Love. much, Francisco, and thanks for your your expertise. Um, please follow Francisco Isaac on Twitter. Like, it will very much on the top, whatever, top two and not number two of, like, Twitter um, accounts to follow um, if you want to keep up with rugby. Just uh, on the whole global stage and just realizing that this game is a lot bigger than maybe the... 10 nations that we always focus on. And yeah, I think there's going to, this rugby Europe championship is 
definitely shaping up to be a very surprising one already. So we have a lot, I think, that we'll be discussing and looking forward to in the next few weeks. So thank you so much, Francisco, for, for your time. Um, and then, yeah, thank you so much for everyone listening. We're going to, yeah, we, we, we just having a, a feature on looking at the rugby year championship. Um, you know, the drill by now, please follow us on our social media platforms. Please follow us on our podcast platforms as well. Like share, rate the podcast, make sure that this podcast gets all the love that it deserves, or maybe that we beg for. And yeah, we will see you in the next episode. Bye-bye. Peace guys.